Good morning. Such a joy to sing the praises of our Lord together and worship and exalt his name. Let's continue our worship. We turn to the book, as Chris said, Genesis, the book of Genesis. Uh, We're going to be reading verses 26 through 28 this morning for our reading. So if you'd please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Genesis 1, 26 through 28. This is God's word. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, so that they will have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that creeps on the earth. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much again just for the tremendous privilege to come together today. We know, Lord, this is a weighty subject, a weighty topic, and uh, we want to be sensitive to that. We want to conduct ourselves in humility and walk as people of grace and people who know your truth, who love your truth, and will stand firm on the promises of your holy and inspired word. And so we just submit this time to you fully. We ask for your will to be done this time, protect us from error, protect us from uh, pride, and uh, be with us. Be, be glorified in this time, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. amen. You can be seated. <clears throat> what is truth? 2,000 years ago, in a Roman praetorium in Jerusalem, the Lord Jesus Christ stood bound and beaten before a very powerful, very influential governor named Pontius Pilate where he was asked this very same question. What is truth? It's a question that was very likely asked many times before this moment and we know it's been asked many, many times since. It's a question that is absolutely relevant for the time and place we're living in today. What is truth? Who gets to define truth? Is truth subjective to individual persons or even groups of individuals with similar characteristics and based solely upon their encounters, interactions, and experiences in life? Is there even such thing as absolute truth? And if there is such a thing as absolute truth, does that mean that everything that is not true is false? Or dare I say, wrong. We're living in a society today, a nation today that is filled with people who are trying to convince other people, trying to convince the rest of the population that there is no such thing as absolute truth, that there is no such thing as facts which correspond with reality, but rather everyone gets to define their own reality, their own truth about who they are and how they want to live. And the real irony comes, of course, when they begin to push these theories of their reality on the masses as being absolute truth. And anyone who doesn't agree with their truth is instantly labeled a narrow-minded, archaic, intolerant, prejudiced bigot. A bigot who will face the immediate wrath of an outrage mob which has now been given a voice and a worldwide platform to spew their non-truth truths, even have them amplified in the public arena. All while every sensible person knows the theory of subjective truth is a delusion. It's a big fat delusion with an increasing percentage of the population has bought into in every area of society. Corporations are buying it and profiting off of it. Politicians are buying it and getting elected on it. Uh, Our educational institutions from the highest to the lowest, and I mean lowest levels as we will see, are buying it hook, line, and sinker. 
And perhaps nowhere are the manifestations of this mass delusion more evident and more apparent in our time than in the areas of human sexuality and specifically gender identity. We can uh, hardly turn around without this issue of human sexuality, homosexuality, lesbianism, transgenderism, and gender identity being thrown in our faces. I mean, in any venue, politics certainly, but now sports and entertainment, advertising, in our military, in our churches, in the office, in the classroom, in the dressing rooms, and everywhere else. And this, of course, is intentional, by the way. Its pervasiveness is by design, all in hopes of getting people desensitized to the realities of the degeneracy that occurs within the LGBTQ movement. A movement which, again, has successfully convinced a large part of this nation to not believe even what they see with their very own eyes. To question reality itself. But guess what? Uh, It's nothing new. Uh, Though it may seem new, deceptions and delusions like these are nothing new. I mean, we don't even get out of the first three chapters of this book without uh, seeing the origins of it, Uh, which is why we're talking about it here this morning. Uh, At the heart of all delusions, at the heart of all deception, the root of all deception, and perhaps most notably today in the LGBTQ movement, is a serious spiritual deficiency or disconnect. The outward manifestations of their reprehensible actions and behavior only reveal for us an inward disdain for the standard of all truth and the source of all truth, who is God himself. Which again is demonstrated in the great lengths with which people go through today to deny his authority and sovereignty over their lives, including the very fundamental truths of who he created them to be. They hate the truth that they were created in God's image because they hate God. Just like all of us did at some point. So did we, by the way. He made us. He created us. He sets the standards. He sets the rules. And man, in their natural state, loathes him for it. But our hatred for him changes nothing about the reality that he is Lord. Why? Well... God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. This should be the end of the discussion. This is the reality. This is the truth. What is truth? In terms of human sexuality and specifically gender identity, and gender dysphoria, there you go. That's the truth. You know, this sermon would actually be much better if I just read that text, prayed, invited Paul and the musicians back up here to close us in psalm and give us the benediction. be a much better sermon. Thank you, Enos. Appreciate that. (laughs) I agree. So we got 45 minutes. So relax. (laughs) The truth is contained in his holy and inspired, inerrant, infallible word, which is exactly why this should be the basis of all of our discussions surrounding human sexuality and gender identity. This is the foundation. This is the basis. His word, his standards, his determinations, and his decrees, whether you agree with them or not, Uh, Whether you believe them or not, this is the truth from the one who gave you your life and who is sustaining your life at this very second and even affording you the opportunity to reject him in the first place if you do. He's allowing you to do that. should be humbling. And it's a truth that he reemphasizes a chapter later and in the process exposes and destroys the entire foundation of the LGBTQ movement. Uh, Turn with me to Genesis chapter 2. Maybe you're on that page. Uh, Look at verse 15. It says, Then Yahweh God, the great I Am, took the man and set Adam in the Garden of Eden to cultivate it, to keep it. Yahweh God commanded the man, saying, 
From any tree of the garden you may surely eat, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat from it. For in the day you eat from it, you will surely die. Then Yahweh God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. And out of the ground Yahweh God had formed every beast of the field, every bird of the sky, and he brought each to the man to see what he would call it. And whatever the man called the living creature, that was its name. And the man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. So Yahweh God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs, closed up the flesh at that place, and Yahweh God fashioned the rib which he had taken from the man into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This one is finally bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. This one shall be called woman, because he was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and cleave to his wife. They shall become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked. They were not ashamed. There you go. Who made man? God. How did he make them? Male and female. So, what does that mean? Like there were two kinds of people and both of them had male and female anatomy, like uh, male and female character traits. They were both, uh, they were androgynous beings here. They, they both individually had the ability to be obedient to his command, to be fruitful and multiply, to give birth and to a child and procreate, to reproduce children? No. Sorry, Apple. <laughs> I did this face there. How many genders are there? Two. Male, female. There we see it, right from the get-go. The institution of marriage, the union of one man and one woman consummated in the joining together of their flesh through natural sexual relations, which is what allows for the procreation and multiplication of other human beings. That's just the reality of existence. That's just how it is. That's just the truth, right? Adam, go into Eve. Lay with her. I will bring forth offspring. That's human sexuality according to our creator, and he declared it good. Said it was good. He then says, the whole garden is yours. Yours to do whatever you'd like with it. Enjoy it. Enjoy each other. Enjoy my creation. Just stay away from that tree over there. Then comes the deception. Note the origin here. Chapter 3, verse 1.2 in your outline. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field with which uh, Yahweh God had made. And he said to the woman, indeed, Has God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God said, you shall not eat from it, you shall not touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. You will not die. And there it is. He says, ah, what is truth? That's God's truth. You, Eve, can have your own truth. In fact, you can be totally different than, than who he created you to be, which is really at the heart of transgenderism, right? Those who buy into and participate in the deceptions of what we would know as transgenderism and are rightly said to be committing spiritual suicide. God made me this way, but he must have made a mistake because I actually feel this way. So I'm going to murder my old self, my old identity, and recreate a new self, a new self-identity in my sovereignty. That way I can live out my life in a way that is more in line with my feelings, even if my feelings defy reality and truth itself. Do you see the similarities here? 
Satan says, nah, you're not going to die, Eve. God only said that because he's operating according to what he believes to be true, okay? It's time for you to define your own truth, Eve. In fact, you'll be like God. You'll be a mini-God. Go ahead and eat that fruit. You'll be fine. She does. She gives it to her husband. He eats. And they live physically. But they die spiritually. Now separated from God, ousted from paradise, deceived, depressed, destroyed, disconnected from their Lord, the end result of all demonic deception. And here we are, thousands of years later, walking the same earth, dealing with the same delusion, which revolves around the same questions. Did God really say? What is truth? Demonic activity is so ingrained into transgender ideology, and it's so important for us to remember because we live in a world that is still under the influence of the evil one. Don't take my word for it, by the way. Several thousand years after the fall of mankind in the garden, an apostle named John comes along and says, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Around the same time, Paul said, all men and women in their natural state walk according to the course of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, the one whom he says blinds the minds of the unbeliever. In other words, he deludes them. It's a delusion. He's, he's putting forth a delusion. A delusion from the one who Jesus called a liar, the father of lies, who along with his demonic hosts hates God and wants to usurp the authority of God and believes he can only do so by continuing to unleash his deceptions upon God's creation. A creation which, more often than not, has been filled with the willing participants who also hate God and hate the revealed truths of God. Exhibit A, uh, the proponents of the LGBTQ movement. Okay? A movement which lies in direct contradiction to the truth of God as he has revealed it in his holy and inspired word. Now, if I may, I want to show you what a delusion of this magnitude looks like in real time, okay? And this is, <clears throat> this is just how quickly even public perception and opinion can change. We're not even talking about the many within evangelicalism have folded like a cheap suit over this issue. Uh, we're talking about just in, in society. I think this is fascinating, okay? Bear with me here. Have you ever heard of the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, or the DSM? You've heard of that? The DSM is, quote, a publication by the American Psychiatric Association for the classification of mental disorders using a common language and standard criteria. It's used by mental health professionals in courts of law, healthcare, insurance companies, other industries. This is the manual for diagnosing the mental condition of a patient or client on a psychiatric level, okay? And uh, its first formal edition came out in 1952. Before that, it was called the Statistical Manual for the Use of Institutions of the Insane, which was published in 1918, by the way. Now, did you know there have been five major revisions to, to the DSM in the past 60 years or so in the area of what is and what is not considered to be a diagnosable mental disorder, and specifically of diagnoses related to human sexuality, including homosexuality, transvestism, pedophilia, fetishism, and sexual sadism, five revisions, all which were diagnosable mental disorders which were thought to bring harm not only to the individual but to society as a whole. Beginning in 1952, the first editions, all the things that I just listed, uh, were underneath an umbrella term or diagnosis of sexual deviancy or sociopathic personality disturbance. This was the prevailing thought among not only those in academia, but professionals within every functioning industry of society. Quote, APA officials were insistent on codifying and differentiating natural or healthy behavior 
from unnatural, meaning unhealthy, behavior. The organization believed that non-procreative sex was unnatural because it could not result in a child. Common sense stuff, right? But watch the mass delusion begin to take shape here. 1918, insanity, perversion. 1952, homosexuality, transvestism is right there with pedophilia. It's unhealthy, it's unnatural, it's devious, it's sociopathic, they said. 1968 comes along, they shore it up expanding and clarifying the diagnosis by giving each form of deviancy its own diagnostic code, along with a few more. No more umbrella terms is what this means. But think about this for a second. 1967, that was only 55 years ago. Many of you sitting here today uh, were alive when homosexuality and transvestism was sexual deviancy on the same level as pedophilia. Now it's in our faces all day long. It's celebrated. It's promoted. What happened in the 55 years since this was a devious, sociopathic mental disorder? What happened to the, to the labels of sexual deviancy and the dangers of it being a, a public health threat and that almost every reputable psychiatrist and medical professional agreed that it was? Answer? Well, listen to this. In a 1973 publication of the APA reads this. After extensive organizing by gay rights activists, the seventh printing of the DSM-2 in 1974 renamed the code homosexuality as sexual orientation disturbance and added descriptive text that noted that homosexuality by itself does not constitute a psychiatric disorder. So, they changed the text based off of the outrage of some gay activists. That's how it changed. Based on the outrage of the sexual deviance. You know, there's an old saying, something about the inmates running the... Well, yeah, yeah, that's too easy. (laughs) They got them to change the words of an authoritative text. Do you understand that? which isn't inspired, of course, but not even close, but isn't this beginning to sound eerily familiar here? Did God really say you can't eat from any tree of the garden? Go ahead. 1980 comes along, the next revision, the third revision, now they, which they rebrand again as ego, a dystonic uh, homosexuality. Uh, But with careful wording here, this is defined as having a desire to be heterosexual but not experiencing heterosexual arousal or experiencing unwanted or distressing homosexual arousal that gets in the way of being heterosexual. You can see I'm trying real hard. It's around this time when uh, the gender identity disorder or transsexualism or transgenderism talk begins around, again, this was around 1980, Uh, Another major revision of the DSM came in 1987. Uh, In this edition, they said, we got to get rid of this word homosexuality uh, once and for all. We cannot use this. In its place, uh, persistent and marked distress about one's sexual orientation. And that's how it stayed all the way up to the 1994 edition, 30 years ago. Then comes 2013, just 10 years ago. Quote, the DSM-5, published in 2013, does not include any diagnostic category that can be applied to people based on their homosexual orientation, although some sources specify that it was simply renamed to gender dysphoria. Some scholars have argued that only this can be considered complete declassification of non-heterosexual sexual orientations as mental disorders, end quote. And there it is. From deviancy to decency in one generation. From deviancy 
to decency in a single generation. Now, we're not concerned with the text of the DSM this morning. We're not concerned with the word of the APA who redefined truth at the outcry of the culprits or changed their convictions along with the seasons. We're concerned with God and his word, God who never changes, God who is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, who doesn't classify these perversions as disorders or uh, dysphorias, but calls them what they are, transgressions, iniquities, sin. Willful and blatant violation of his moral law committed by a totally corrupted and totally depraved men and women. Homosexuality is wrong because God says it's wrong. Not because the APA or the DSM or the government or the WHO or even this church or even me. It's wrong because God says it's wrong. He says it's an abomination for a man to lie with a man as he lies with a woman. Transvestism is wrong because God says it's wrong that a man shouldn't dress in women's clothes. This whole idea of transgenderism, while not explicitly stated in the Bible, is wrong because it calls into question the biological reality of God's good design. And there's certainly an element of idolatry mixed in. This becomes an obsession for the person. Uh, This uh, becomes the overarching theme of their life. They become obsessed with the need to change their identity. They have an unsatiated lust and a fervent passion for the need to recreate themselves. And the flames of this passion are only fanned by the relentless pressure of social media influencers, their peers, their elected officials, sometimes even their parents along with much of the rest of this corrupted and cursed evil world system. We again see this playing out on a national level in Romans chapter 1 where God gives entire people groups over to the lusts of their unchecked and unrepentant behaviors, giving people over to a debased mind, to a mind that is unfit to do what ought not to be done as a form of his judgment for idolatry. Giving them over to a mind that is literally disqualified from rational thought, which again, for anyone who's been paying attention, is exactly what we see playing out uh, before our eyes today. Which is why it's clear to me that uh, transgenderism, and in fact the whole of the LGBTQ movement, is not a catalyst for a future judgment of God, Uh, Should we as a nation not come to our senses and turn from our wicked ways, but rather uh, transgenderism is the judgment of God. The LGBTQ movement is the judgment of God on idolatrous America. It's already here, being judged. Do you ever think about it? How did, how did it get so far, so fast? It's like a tailspin. We went from just leave us alone to tolerate us, to accept us, to celebrate us, to promote us or else. Or else you'll lose your job, your career, your status, your reputation, you'll even your ability to provide for your family. They don't care. We will crush you. Because we've also changed the definition of tolerate to you're considered tolerant if you agree with what I'm saying. That's the new tolerance. And there's your answer. It's uh, in a nation under delusion, the definition of truth changes. It's changing. All of a sudden, within a single generation, people begin to ask, what is truth with regard to gender identity here? And they begin defining their own truth, and even though it goes against the very fundamental foundation, foundational realities of our existence as human beings, male and female, man and woman, leave and cleave, go together, become one flesh, procreate, multiply, they continue to change the definitions, and the meaning of truth. Someone says, well, you know, Jesus, he never talked about this stuff. Well, sure he did. Sure he did. In the discussion of marriage and divorce, he 
reaffirms these basic foundational truths. He said, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, father, mother, male, female, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. But no, Jesus, they either have not read, or even worse, have read or have heard, but just don't care about that. Now we've got people who are clearly born male, who, because they feel female, are making huge, life-altering, drastic decisions like taking hormones, testosterone, or even literally removing parts of their body so their external appearance can match their internal feelings. And it's nothing short of tragedy. It's a tragedy. And, and it's like watching somebody commit suicide. And the greatest deception within the deception, and why I'm absolutely convinced it's demonic in nature, is because of who has become the primary target of the LGBTQ movement. They've got a new target audience to indoctrinate, and who is that? Children. Children, that's right. You see, they don't want us anymore. We're old news. This isn't 1978 anymore. They want your children. That video of the San Francisco gay men's choir, have you seen that? A couple of years ago, I, I can't get it out of my head, this guy's face. It's so disturbing as they look into the camera and they sing, we're coming for your children. We'll convert your children. The gay agenda is coming home. The gay agenda is here. We are coming for your children. We have to wake up. And we see it happening nationwide. The Blues Clues went from finding paw prints at Steve's house to marching at the downtown Pride Parade with drag queen Nina West. Disney outright said, we have an LGBTQ movement and an agenda in our programming. We're putting this in our shows to indoctrinate young children. They said this. Uh, this, this which was less than 70 years ago was considered insanity. Moral degeneracy, sexual deviancy is now coming through the airwaves, coming onto your kid's phone and tablet, and even worse, right from their school curriculums. And it's taken hold of parents even. It's unreal to watch this, where even now we've got people literally literally handing their children over to known sex-offending pedophile transgenders, transvestites at both drag shows and in your county library. Here you go. It, it's, a, it's a demonic delusion. And people have completely bought into it, so much so that you know the healthcare industry has to get in on the profits. Whole programs are, are being created to find ways to capitalize on the naturally unstable feelings and emotion of children. So now they offer gender-affirming therapy to families of kids as young as three years old. This is not exaggeration for effect here. Uh, Boston Children's Hosp Hospital said last week that toddlers can know they are transgender. Toddlers. Quote, a child will often know they're transgender the moment that they have any ability to express themselves, and parents will often tell us this. We have parents who tell us their kids, they knew from the moment they were born, practically. The moment they're born. This is the same hospital which came out a few weeks ago boasting of uh, recent life-altering surgeries performed on many under the age of 18, all, of course, under the guise of gender-affirming care. You know, there's no need to keep belaboring uh, the symptoms of the dark manifestations here of the, of, of the transgender delusion. You see them all day long. It, they're 
You see them. We're all aware of them. We all know that the days are getting darker and darker by the minute. It's happening at neck-breaking speed here. The question is, how do we respond to it then? How do we respond to this as believers in actual truth? The truth that we read about earlier in the service here, the truth is revealed in God's holy and inspired word. How do we respond? You know, I love what John MacArthur said about uh, the truth of God's word, by the way. He said, truth cannot be subjective There is no such thing as your truth or my truth. Truth is forever fixed. Authentic Christianity has always held that Scripture is absolute objective truth. The Bible is God's truth, regardless of whether a person believes it, understands it, or likes it. It is a permanent and universal truth, and therefore it is the same for everyone. So in light of that truth, how are we going to respond to... A society that is so clearly and obviously deceived. How do we respond to a culture that is growing increasingly hostile to those who don't participate in the delusion? Knowing that there is so much more that could be said here. Uh, First of all, don't participate in the delusion. Hypothetical, but very probable uh, scenario here. Uh, What do you do if... Larry, a male coworker or classmate you've known for some time, comes up to you one day and says, you know what, uh, I'm a woman now. I want you to call me Becky. I want you to use my pronouns she and her. That's a tough question. What do we do? Well, we don't participate in the delusion. We stand on what we know to be true. We don't have to be rude in our response. We don't have to go on a long rant about how deceived or evil this person is, but we don't participate in the delusion. Uh, We could say, you know, I don't want to talk about it right now here at work, or I don't want to talk about it in school. I'm sorry. I cannot do that. I'll find other ways to interact with you, but I can't be a part of perpetuating a falsehood and intentionally violating what I know to be in line with reality. Let me just ask you a question here. Do you, do you think that it's loving to somebody, that you're loving them by playing uh, along with a lie for the sake of making them feel good for a season? Is that a loving thing? No. You know, I see churches all over the place, all over Denver here with these little rainbow stickers on their signs. Some say, come as you are, all are welcome. We are LGBTQ friendly. Now, do you think that it's loving of these churches, knowing what we know that God says about homosexuality and the punishment for those who continue in their rebellion to say, come as you are without any intention whatsoever is, uh, of saying, yeah, come as you are, but don't stay as you are. Is, is that loving? But instead, what they're saying is, yeah, come on in, we'll affirm your sin. Is that loving? Of course not. So, What has to happen then for a church, a so-called evangelical or or Christian church or or individual professing, uh, individually professing Christian to be able to get to the place where they think this is a loving practice? Well, I'll tell you what has to happen. A redefining of truth has to happen. A, A redefining, softening, or outright rejection of the truth. As we read last week, they put the word of God behind them and start acting as if man's word has the greater authority. The liberal churches or the pastors now have the greater authority. The government has the greater authority. The CDC, the World Health Organization, the American Psychiatric Association, athletes and entertainers have the truth. Twitter and TikTok stars have the truth now. (laughs) TikTok stars. You can tell how much time I spend on there. Social media influencers are now the ones who are speaking truth. These people are the ones who have the truth. But God says, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Okay? What if we had a sign out front? We got that sign out there on the grass. says, Lakewood Bible Chapel, come join us at 11 a.m. What if we had a little sticker under that said, you know, come on in. Adulterers welcome. 
Wife beaters, welcome. Drunks, welcome. Liars, welcome. Which is true. They are welcome. Just like everybody in the LGBTQ community is welcome. But what if we had no intention of warning them of the dangers of continuing in their marital unfaithfulness or their spousal abuse or their drunkenness or lying? Uh, How these things destroy families. How, How it goes against God's commands of whom they will have to give an account when they die. What if we just said, nah, just as long as you come, we'll affirm you. Would that be loving? Of course it wouldn't be loving. In the same way, we can't call a man a woman. And we can't call a woman a man. We cannot do it. We will love them. We will treat them with dignity and respect as a people made in God's image, but not at the expense of what we know to be true. Because that's not loving them. Don't participate in the delusion, okay? Especially when you know of its source, okay? Second takeaway, do not forsake that which is eternal for that which is temporal. In other words, When faced with the mounting pressures of a society that calls evil good and good evil, stand firm in your faith and consider your eternity. There may come a day, may come quicker than you think, where your employer or a faculty member or somebody close to you, maybe even a family member, may come up to you and say, you know, we can no longer have a relationship with you because you are so narrow-minded, you're so intolerant, you're so unloving. You no longer represent the values and principles of this company or school. What do you do? Again, what should we do? Very tough situation here. We're not flipping about it. I would implore you, in situations like this, when these times come, consider your eternity. You're not going to be standing before your CEO or the dean of students the moment you die just like you're not going to stand before Jared Polis or Barack Obama or these guys. These, enough of that. Uh, you're not standing before social media influencers the second you die. You're not going to stand before the elders of this church. You're not going to stand before any other human being to give an account for how you dealt with the truth. You will only stand before God to give an account. Okay? Consider your eternity. Uh, Do not forsake your eternal life for your temporal life. In Hebrews chapter 12, Esau is called a godless person, an unholy person. Do you remember why he's considered godless? He sold his birthright for a meal, for a bowl of soup. This was a big deal. He was essentially saying, forget the inheritance that God has for me. I'm hungry. I need to have my belly warmed and filled. When believers go along with the heathen to either A, protect relationships, or B, protect some status or position in this world, they're essentially saying, I know what God says about this. I know it grieves him, but I will presume that he will forgive me as I try to have my cake and eat it too. That's what it says. If that's your mentality, I I would seriously urge you to examine yourself to see whether or not you're in the faith. Think of that moment. Think of that very moment. You take your last breath on this earth. When you stand before him, he's giving you eternal rewards if you belong to him. Think about everything that he's done for you through the sacrificial death of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, how he took on all your sins, became a curse so that you wouldn't be one. Had his father turn his back on him so that you wouldn't have to. You will never have to be separated from the father. Think of that moment when they ask you in whatever venue this is, your school, your job, and ask yourself, is this job, is this relationship, is this class, is this school worth sacrificing my relationship with the Lord? Any true Christian would say a resounding no. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. Finally, uh, in this first section, do not hesitate to give the reasoning for your non-compliance, okay? Don't hesitate to tell them why you won't participate. Think again about that moment. 
How much better to stand before a holy God and hear him say, you knew my word, you weren't afraid to declare my word, no matter the cost. I mean, this, this is basically what was said to all true martyrs throughout the history of the church here. You knew my nature, you knew my commands, you knew the sanctity of the Lord's Supper, you knew the importance of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. You knew these things and you did not compromise on what you knew to be true in order to save your own neck. So maybe, you know, friend, I, I just cannot go along with this. Not only do I know how harmful it is to my fellow man, not only am I concerned for you, but even more than that, I don't want to violate my conscience or the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, we must not be so embarrassed to say, you know what, I'm a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe that his word is clear, and this is something that I cannot participate in or condone. So I will respectfully decline your request to call you a woman. Put it on the Lord. He can handle it. Jesus said. That's one of my favorite things to say. Almost every time I preach, I'm not saying this. This is Jesus' word, but because he says it, I'm saying it. Put it on the Lord. Now, on the flip side, those are the things, do not do those. Uh, Do not participate in this delusion. Do not forsake the eternal for the temporal and never compromise on what your spirit-indwelled heart knows to be true. And do not hesitate to tell them exactly why you will not comply. Now, on the flip side, these are some things that we should do when faced with these deceptions. First of all, do remember that you were saved by grace. Okay. Do remember that you were rescued by grace. What's the significance of this word rescued here? Think about um, Paul in Colossians chapter 1. He says, Believers in Christ are to give thanks to the Father who rescued us from the authority of darkness, transferred us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Meaning, We were all under the authority of darkness at one point, okay? Just like we said earlier, we were under the dominion. We were under the the sway of the evil one. We all once walked according to the course of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all also formally conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh doing the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. That was or is everybody sitting here in this room this morning. Everybody. You are either sitting there as one of two people. You either once walked according to the course of this world, or you are walking according to the course of this world. You either formally conducted yourself in the lust of your flesh or you are currently conducting yourself according to the lust of your flesh. You were a child of wrath or you are a child of wrath. You were under divine condemnation for your sin or you are still under divine condemnation for your sin. You were in the pit of destruction, the pit of darkness, but have now been rescued, transferred into the kingdom of his son, the light of the world, or you are still in the pit of destruction and under the domain and sway of darkness. Everybody. Nobody's exempt. To those who have been rescued from the authority of darkness, who have been pulled out of that pit, how could we then possibly look down upon those who are still in that pit as though we somehow, some way, are superior to them? When everything that was done for us was done by grace alone. In other words, the difference is we have a knowledge that they do not have a knowledge of the truth, but we were given that knowledge. We didn't in any way, shape, or form earn that knowledge, nor nor was it given to us on the basis of some redeemable quality within ourselves. We had none. For some reason, for some reason, God chose us 
and rescued us from the wrath that he would have been so justified in pouring out onto all of us for all of eternity, and we don't have any clue why, other than for his own glory and good pleasure. But he's got a whole host of angels who never stop ceasing, they never cease praising him all day and all night. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He doesn't need them either because he's perfect. He needs nothing. We learned that last week. He doesn't need us. He doesn't need us, but he wanted us. So he chose us through absolutely no doing of our own. He even gave us the faith to believe and be justified. He gives it to us as a gift. So what that means is, may we never look down in the, into that pit at those who are in that same woeful, lamentable, miserable condition and say, you know what? His grace was available for me, but it's not available for you. You're just too evil. Uh, may, may we never be accused of slamming the door of heaven behind us as we enter in. Uh, as vile and reprehensible as the current events are and as hard as they are to watch unfold, we have to remember that these are people made in the image of God. And no pill, no surgery can change that. Okay? Just remember, you are totally depraved, but you were rescued by His grace alone. And this goes along with the next point. Do have compassion on those who are hurting. Think of your brethren in the church when you spout off, off things about this, about this movement. Think of uh, our brothers and sisters in the church. I know many godly men and women, many godly brothers and sisters in the church who have been absolutely decimated by this delusion and this deception They've seen their spouses, their children, their grandchildren buy into the perverted lies of this culture. Uh, they've watched them undergo the most invasive surgeries and procedures in order to find some peace and some rest for their souls, souls which are so full of turmoil they will do anything to silence it. Think of his brothers and sisters who know the truth and yet have to see their loved ones subject themselves to such wicked delusions and the deception of the culture which says if you just do this, you'll be happy. If, if you just take this, if you just have this procedure given to these temptations, you'll finally be happy. You'll finally have peace. And yet, their souls are actually never satisfied. It never brings satisfaction because it's a mirage. It's a veneer. It's, it's not real. It's not true. It's a false promise. Many young lives are being obliterated by this demonic agenda and many faithful brothers and sisters around the world are getting hit with the collateral damage, with the shrapnel. So let's be considerate when speaking about these things. Have compassion on those who are hurting. Show them grace. Pray with them. Love them. Remind them of God's love for them. Remind them of the truth that if their child or grandchild is still alive, and so is the hope of God's rescuing them. Which brings us to our last takeaway. Uh, again, there could be many, many more. Um, but finally, do share the hope of the gospel. We are people of hope, <clears throat> but it's a hope that's based on what we know to be true. You know, when Jesus stood before Pilate on that day, um, do you know what he told him? He said, the reason he came into this world was to bear witness to the truth or testify to the truth. He said, everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And we know, because we have record of it, that that's exactly what he did. Uh, at least during the, first, or the last three years of his earthly ministry, he went about declaring truth and inviting people to believe it. He taught the truth of the kingdom of God. He taught the truth of the nature of God, the nature of the triune God. He taught the truth of the God the Father, the truth of God the Son, the truth of God the Holy Spirit, three in one. He taught about the truth of mankind and the 
truth of mankind in relation to the truth of God. He told the truth of our sinful nature, and he told the truth of his holy nature. He told uh, the truth of divine justice and judgment and wrath, but he also told us the truth of divine love and divine mercy and forgiveness. He told the truth about a way for woefully sinful men and women to have the opportunity to be reconciled to an infinitely holy God, to be in eternal bliss with him forever. How could this possibly happen, you say? Jesus would say, not in man's power. He told the truth of the gospel, the gospel, which is the power of God unto salvation. He told them that he was the truth. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. He said, nobody comes to the Father but through me. And he spent these three years walking the very earth that he spoke into existence, telling people how this was possible through the necessity of his death, burial, and resurrection, not by starting to do certain things, not by stopping doing certain things, not by an outward act or cleaning up their lives a little bit, not by religious works or deeds or confessions or creeds, not by anything other than belief in the gospel, faith in the gospel, which again, he gives us the faith to believe. This gospel which said, he came into this earth born of a virgin to live a perfect, sinless, and spotless life, obeying the law that none of us could ever get close to obeying, only to give himself willingly as a sacrifice, a penal substitutionary atonement for sinners, for all who would believe in him and call upon his name alone for salvation and reconciliation to the Father. The Father who poured out his righteous wrath upon the Son until he breathed his last, but then he raised him from the dead three days later, and the Son ascended back up to the right hand of the Father on high where he would send his promised Holy Spirit to indwell those whom he chose before the foundation of the earth. Sinners. Sinners who knew the truth that they needed to be rescued, who acknowledge their sin, who mourn over their sin, who turn from their sin and cast themselves upon the mercy of God fully. So here's the $64,000 question. Whose truth are you going to believe? Whose truth are you going to believe? If you're here this morning and you've bought into the demonic deception of the LGBTQ movement, the demonic lies of transgenderism which promises fulfillment and satisfaction in an identity of your making but will only deliver devastation and depression and death through spiritual suicide, I would invite you to come to the Lord Jesus Christ today. He will satisfy you. He will never lie to you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. In fact, he will wash you as white as snow. He will forgive you. He will pour his spirit into your hearts, which will continue to transform. Uh, he will continue to transform by his grace until the day that you see him face to face. He will rescue you. He will save you. He will bring you into life everlasting, a life with him if you would but believe in his gospel. To the believer, you, you know this to be true. So stand firm on the truth. Stand firm in your faith. Stand firm on the word of God. Depend fully on the spirit of God to guide you and to protect you and to confirm you into the, conform you into the image of his son uh, who is worthy of our praise forever and ever. Amen? Amen. Amen. Close with me in prayer, and uh, we'll have Paul and the music team come up and lead us in one more final song. Our Heavenly Father, <clears throat> again, we just thank you so much for the truth that you've revealed to us by your grace alone. We, we revel in it. We, we rejoice over it. But we also know that this was by your grace. 
and none of us deserved it. None of us deserved to have this knowledge of you. But the good news is, Lord, that we, we have it through the sacrificial death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we, we take such comfort in this. We, we want to pray for our brothers and sisters in the church who may be uh, experiencing these things firsthand. And we recognize, Lord, that it's such a weighty matter that we don't want to take it we don't want to be so flippant about it. We also don't want to be crude or uh, harsh. But we want to declare the truth. We want to do it because we know that's what's right and we know that's what you've told us to do. Uh, we love you, Lord. We thank you so much for your gospel. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.